Before we start this episode, I want to give you a little caution. This episode contains stories about the usage of animal and human remains. So if that's something that you're sensitive for, I hereby caution you for this episode. Maybe one of the best known forms of dark magic is necromancy. From Sauron, the Lord of the Rings, and the Night King from Game of Thrones, to the biblical figure Lazarus, who was resurrected by necromantic magic. But why do we consider necromancy to be dark magic? Let's first go back to the beginnings. To find the time and location of the birth of necromancy, so to say, can be rather difficult. There are hypotheses that claim that necromancy goes as far back as the prehistoric ages. But due to a lack of physical evidence, these hypotheses remain unproven. Written accounts that we actually have show us an example of a possible necromancer around the 11th century. As written in the Bible, the first king of Israel, Saul, prohibited necromancy only to ask a witch to perform a necromantic act in his favor, allowing him to talk to the biblical figure Samuel. Necromancy is derived from the word nekros, which is Greek for dead body, and mantea, meaning divination. The main function of necromancy is contacting the afterlife. Some say this is evidence that necromancy is as old as the idea of afterlife itself. But like I said, there is no way to know for sure. This sounds quite mild. So why does necromancy have such a stereotype of being the darkest of magic? Well, this is probably mainly thanks to one key aspect, namely, the practice of trying to bring back the dead. My name is Maartje and you are listening to Biographies of the Wicked. Trying to bring people back from the dead is a topic that has interested people for a long time. And may I say, the topic is an interesting one. The idea that maybe we could have just a little bit more time with the ones we love. It does sound appealing. But as many have pointed out over the history, is that death is a natural thing. A truth we must learn to accept. The past has shown us, however, that there are people who just can't let it go. And we'll come to see that some people take this quite literally. In November of 2012, a landlord alerted authorities since the couple who lived in one of his apartments weren't paying rent. When eventually said authorities arrived at the apartment, they made a disturbing discovery. On the couple's bed, they found the remains of an elderly man. Later investigation made clear that it was the body of one of the residents of the apartment still keeping his wife company for almost one year after he passed away. The woman, in a grief over the loss of her husband, continued to sleep next to her decomposing husband. This story is a real-life example of how hard a passing can be and how eager people can be to hold on to their loved ones. 
We are not really sure if this feeling was also driving the force of Giovanni Aldini, or if he was just fascinated by death itself. What we do know is that he took a very interesting, and some say sadistic, turn in history. And how he did this, you ask? Well, by taking this ancient idea and combining it with science. And whilst doing this, he changed how we see the scientific world. Giovanni Aldini was born in Bologna, Italy in 1762. As almost all of his family was involved in science in one way or another, it was very clear from an early age that Aldini was to become a scientist. Eventually he chose to study physics in his hometown. Whilst studying, he was also the assistant of his uncle, Galvani, who was famous for his experiments on frogs. This experiment consisted of using electric sparks directly onto the muscles in the legs of the dead frogs, making them twitch and convulse. It was here, in the dimmed lab of his uncle, where Aldini became truly inspired. He started wondering what the twitching could mean. Where most of us would see a creepy or even sadistic experiment, Aldini saw much more. He saw the movements of the frogs after death as a small hint that maybe, just maybe, we could defy death. Aldini didn't start with trying to bring people back from the death, of course. It was a gradual process. He first started out with a different use for electrical energy on a person's body. These electrical pulses were relatively mild and administered to different parts of the body, mainly the head. He used this to treat people with personality disorders. For those of you who are not familiar with psychoneurological practices, this can sound barbaric. But as a psychology student myself, I have learned that the use of electroconvulsive therapy can be an effective treatment for patients suffering from major depressive disorder. Not only this, but deep brain stimulation has been proven useful for an array of motor and behavioral disorders. New uses for electrical pulses are still investigated actively in the world of research, showing us more and more possible treatments. Even though Aldini was a great contributor to our understanding of electrotherapies, he was not the first to experiment with this idea. We can see the use of electrical energy for medical treatment as early back as 50 before the Common Era, when court physician to the Roman Emperor Claudius, named Scribonus Largus, used shocks produced by electrical rays to treat paralysis and headaches. During his time studying electrical pulses for treatment, Aldini couldn't really let go of his first idea, the ones that he got while working with his uncle, back in his university days. So he started experimenting. First, he started with the frogs, like his uncle, 
to replicate the effect and then trying the pulses on other parts of the body of the frogs as well. But it didn't take him long to push the horror factor up a notch. In 1800, Aldini started touring through Europe, mainly to convince the scientific community of the importance of his research. He also started giving exhibitions for people, showcasing his findings. In one of these demonstrations, he used the head of an ox. The show started. I just can't help but envision this scene from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein where Aldini would walk into the room, watched closely by the anxious but curious crowd, then taking a way too oversized lever into his hand and pulling it, revealing the horrific side of a cut-off ox hat, revolting wildly, blinking, and sticking out his tongue to the crowd in an almost whimsical way. The mass was repelled. But this event would not set back Aldini in his quest to find a way to cheat death. In fact, it would seem this was only the beginning. Despite the disagreeable nature of the crowd at the demonstration with the ox head, scientific interest into Aldini's experiment grew. Because of this, Aldini was finally able to put his real hypothesis to the test, that he could take those who had passed away and bring them back to the land of the living. With the help of science, of course. This newfound interest in his work helped overcome a problem that Aldini had been facing since the beginning of his research, which was acquiring bodies to experiment on. He seemed to have made a deal allowing him a steady flow of freshly executed criminals. He started out by using decapitated heads to test the significance of brain stimulation. His experiments on the heads of executed criminals started by wetting the ears with the brine solution and stuffing the ears with electrical wires. One of his test subjects was the body of the recently passed George Foster. George was, like the other bodies that Aldini experimented on, hanged for his crimes. A later retelling of the crime was given, allowing the people who attended the trial to know all of the horrific details of the murder. His crime was the murder of his wife and child by drowning them in the Paddington Canal in London. After being found guilty, George was sentenced to death by hanging. Aldini was given access to the now lifeless body, and he quickly prepared for one of his most famous public displays in 1803. Aldini had everything set ready, and a nervous, yet curious crowd shuffled in, filling the room. The demonstration was a grandiose one, like people had come to expect from Aldini. He began by applying electrical wires to the head, when the jaw immediately began to convulse. 
The audience was once again startled by the presentation. But this time, it would send a shockwave so big that it could no longer be overlooked. After the demonstration of 1803, Aldini was approached by men of the Royal College of Surgeons, who observed Aldini and were interested in his work. Eventually, Aldini was rewarded with the gold medal, which is an award for, quote, outstanding achievements in research in any branch of science, end quote. Even though this medal would be an important factor in the career of Giovanni Aldini, there is not that much information about Aldini after 1803. We do know that later in his life, Aldini shifted his focus to physics more than medicine and biology. He spent his time working on improving illumination in lighthouses, helping in the decline in fire hazard of houses, and improving lighting on the streets. During Aldini's time, there were a lot of opinions about his work, and a lot of the time he was dismissed for his grandiose idea about resurrection. But in the end, crazy professor or not, Giovanni Aldini has taught us a lot about, well, a lot of things. He is most remembered for his quote-unquote crazy experiments, but there are more, maybe less bizarre, discoveries that had changed the world, perhaps for the better. The idea of bringing back a loved one from the dead is a captivating one. And maybe we can even understand the lengths to which some people went, clouded by loss or mere curiosity. Giovanni Aldini was just one in a line of scientists obsessed with this idea. And as a conclusion to this story, I want to tell you about one more mad scientist. Dr. Robert Cornish had a reputation of being a weird scientist long before his most famous experiments. This was mainly due to his inventions, such as the underwater reading glasses. His later invention was less harmless. It took him several tries, but eventually he prevailed. Lazarus V, a dog he named after the biblical figure, lived on for months after being resurrected from a short 30-minute death. Sadly for Cornish, the scientific community in 1950 was less excited about the idea of a zombie dog and he was expelled from campus. In the end, he was very close to trying his theory on an executed criminal, but because of the moral dilemma, whether or not the criminal should serve another sentence or be able to go freely after being resurrected, the experiment was called off. After this, Cornish gave up on his experiments and made a living selling toothpaste for the rest of his life. Thank you so much for listening to the third episode of Biographies of the Wicked. You can now listen to the episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcast, as well as on the website itself, biographiesofthewicked.com. 
On the website, you can learn a little bit more about me and the podcast itself. You can also follow me on Instagram, Biographies of the Wicked, all one word. And here I like to tell little stories about how I came inspired to write the episodes I write. And finally, just one more big thank you for listening to this episode. Bye!